Monday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully our stream is working. So if you haven't noticed yet, Jake is not here this week. Jake is on the East Coast, enjoying life, enjoying the travels, uh, which good for him. But that means CJ and I are here to hold down the fort. And that means that we are going to be flying a little... <laughs> A little blind here trying to figure out the tech side that that jake is usually the one to to handle is this what boomers feel like when they can't open pdfs <laughs> so <laughs> yeah yeah so so everybody in, in the twitch chat if there's any issues or anything that is coming up that's not working just let us know and we will we will try to figure this out as we go um jake is also standing by uh i believe i don't know undisclosed location on the eastern seaboard uh, so he, he he is texting me as we're doing this. Okay. Well, with with all of that out of the way, I think it's time that we get into this week's topics. So last time we talked to you guys, uh, I mean, we were we were talking about Derek Grant being on waivers. We were talking about some sea changes in the way that the Ducks were approaching things. And since that time, the Ducks have played in three different games: uh, Oilers, Jets, Wild, and. A lot of stuff has happened. So, CJ, are you are you ready to to get into this? Or are you, are you how are you feeling right now? What what's your what what what's your assessment of the the pulse of this team right now? Um I think this season so far is turning out kind of how a lot of us expected. Right? A lot of us were expecting, yeah, this team isn't going to be particularly good. The numbers really bear that out. Um but they've been way more entertaining than before. Um and it even most of the time, the losses have some level of entertainment and they're not getting absolutely blown out. So all in all, I'm actually pleasantly surprised with kind of how the team's been performing, even with the record they have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's it's interesting kind of, I think for a lot of fans, observers, media, it's it's a bit of a balance to strike right now because you see that, you know, the team is definitely more competitive. There's There's been some closer games. They've gotten to overtime. And even in losses, they they've looked. I mean, their their biggest loss this week against Winnipeg, where they lost five to one last Thursday. I thought that that was one of their best games in in years, maybe. I mean, just at five on five. And so, yeah, I think it's it's a challenge right now to balance that that optimism, right? With hey, the team is more competitive, the team is playing a little a little sharper, while also maintaining some some skepticism, maintaining a critical eye because there are still as you all know there are still issues that we find <laughs> in the way that the that the roster is being managed that the way Dallas Higgins is managing his lines there's always something right and so we're going to try I think on this show to balance some of the positives with the negatives and just try to give everybody Felix, no, we're the only the, the Ducks are the only fan base that are allowed to complain nobody else is literally as bad as everything this organization does. Come on, man. <laughs> well, we're we're gonna try. We're gonna try to <laughs> we're gonna try to give you the fairest look possible. I think that that's that's the goal of this show. And maybe yeah. some maybe sometimes we steer in one direction versus the other, but today we'll we'll try to give you all angles. So let's start with just the latest news. So today we actually got a decent amount of news for the ducks. Um I guess this one may have come out yesterday, a couple days ago, and I think about it probably last week time is just blending together. Max Jones out four to six months, a, a torn pec, torn pectoral muscle. 
which is which is a really bad break for Max Jones because I mean I thought that he was playing better. Uh, he had a good training camp. It seemed like he was carving out a niche for himself with the Ducks. So CJ, when you saw that news come down the pipe, what did you think, uh, especially with that timeline of four to six months? I mean, you really just feel terrible for him, especially because he has had injuries in the past. He was knocked out with, uh, what was it? I think it was like a fractured hand or fractured finger when he was in junior and kind of like right in the middle of his prime development phase. Um, And uh, it took a long time for him to come back from that. And a lot of people, myself included, think that he wasn't really the same after that. Um, but at the same time, you know, you've got him now here in the NHL and you see he has to miss a bunch of time. Side note, by the way, I feel like if I got to pick Terrell, that does not sound pleasant whatsoever. Sounds, sounds really It sounds brutal. terrible. Like, and, and can you imagine if Terry Crews got a pectoral tear? I think he, you know, I, I'd put him on suicide watch. What, what anyway. would he do? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, but I, you really feel for him, I think first and foremost, as a younger player who's trying to establish his value and, and potentially set himself up to get paid when he becomes a, you know, a, an RFA pretty soon, but you know, that those types of things only hurt his chances. And, you know, I like Max Jones, in the bottom six of this team, especially on the fourth liner to me, he's like kind of the ideal fourth liner um, for what you'd want on a good hockey team. So the fact that they're a bad hockey team, they have him, I think is still a very good sign. Um, and I think they're, they're definitely going to miss him for yeah. that time that he's out. Yeah. I mean, the coaching staff definitely values him quite a bit. They love the energy that he brings. They love that, that brand of just kind of energy get in your face I, I do want to make a, a slight note there, CJ, because you you mentioned the, the contract situation for Max Jones. So he signed a three-year extension last summer. So Oh, my God. I don't yeah. know why I forgot that. <laughs> no, it's okay, because the other <laughs> a lot of the youngsters signed one-year deals. So Yeah, that's right. Understandable if it blends together. He did sign a three-year deal, and so I guess this is the... This is the benefit of signing something with, with more certainty is that, you don't you know, an injury happens, and it's not a catastrophe where you're on a one-year prove-it deal. Like if this happened to Sam Steele, for example, he's on a one-year deal. He's going to be an RFA yeah. next summer. Like that's that's a pretty big bummer for him. But for for Max Jones, he's gotten paid already. So it sucks. But at the same time, he's he'll be okay for the time being, uh, at least, at yeah. least financially. Um, yeah. And so I guess the, the, the flip side of that is that in terms of the depth chart for the Ducks with Jones being out another winger down, um, we did get news that Mason McTavish, although he is on IR, uh, he is not, you know, his situation is not nearly the same as Jones. And we have an indication that he may be close to returning. So after the news of Jones being placed on IR and McTavish being placed on IR, we had news that Sam Carrick and Sonny Milano were brought up from San Diego. They were announced, well, they weren't announced. We saw on the AHL website that they were sent down today which would indicate, at least to me, because the Ducks do play tomorrow against Winnipeg, again, third time this season already. Um, I feel like we're, we're, I feel like I've watched a ton of Jets hockey this season. And uh, we have, I mean, <laughs> I, I personally think we're the foremost, most expert on the Jets now. Don't listen to anybody else. It's us. <laughs> yeah, we, we should just start a side uh a Jets podcast at this point. I, I feel like we have enough. We have enough time of, of watching these games to, to have some pretty hard and fast opinions. Um, but yeah, so so Carrick and Milano sent down to San Diego, which tells me 
now. Maybe reading the tea leaves a little too much. Then McTavish is probably, by the time you're listening, maybe already activated off of IR. It feels like it's the logical move. Um, I guess in theory, the Ducks could call those two back up tomorrow. Um, There's some rules there that I I corresponded with Jake today to make sure I got that right, Um, since we don't have him here to to correct us on that. Um, So we'll see. I, I guess what was your reaction to seeing... Sonny Milano gets sent down to to San Diego. I think I quote tweeted your your announcement that with that with a, a gif of um, uh, Ron Swanson throwing a chair in anger, <laughs> and, and and you know it's funny. I again I think that the Ducks have really kind of done Milano dirty in the way they've had him. Um, you know I I just feel like he hasn't been given a fair shake. I'm not necessarily expecting him to you know turn into this first line, you know, 30 plus goal scorer, but he clearly has shown enough, um, especially offensively in his limited time with the Ducks, that I feel like he's shown enough to at least get himself a bigger role or at least more play time or a better chance with this org. And I understand the concussion is probably a concern to some extent right now, but it, it, it just feels like for a team that has trouble with offense, Milano being one of the few players who maybe is maybe above average offensive isn't getting the fair shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think it's, do I think it's that big of a deal and that this is going to affect the Ducks standing significantly? No, I don't. It's, it's marginal, but again, it goes back to the thought process that this, this move even if it marginally affects the Ducks, tells us something about how management thinks, right? Right. And with them making this type of move, it's another kind of, uh, you know, thing against that line of thinking, at least in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, so with what's interesting is that the Ducks, if you, at least per cap friendly, which is fairly reliable, I would say, uh, they're at 21 out of 23 on their roster. So they sent down Milano, but even with McTavish coming back on uh, from IR tomorrow, in theory, they could have kept Milano on the roster. So I don't really understand why they sent him down. I guess they just don't plan on playing him. That that would be my assumption with, with McTavish being healthy. Again, a yeah. big assumption here that McTavish is coming back. But to me, that's kind of like the only way it makes sense. Um, and then, you know, as far as, I guess, with Mil- just my quick note on Milano, it's it's similar to you. It's that I, I think the one game he played last week, he played extremely well. To be to be yep. fair, though, that game against Winnipeg, everyone played well, including the fourth line, had good numbers. So maybe you want to caution that a little bit. But I thought he looked very good. I thought he had a great preseason. Like this has been a theme for him. Every time he plays, he looks really good. Just eye test perspective and the numbers back it up. So it is a little puzzling, especially when you consider when you watch the game last, uh, or I guess on Saturday against Minnesota, where the the Ducks fourth line look looks absolutely terrible, and actually you could argue lost them the game to to send down Milano and and to keep those guys. That's the part that doesn't make sense to me. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the, the the coaching staff seems to have a very like you were alluding to a bit, a set in stone view of what that fourth line is going to be. And I, I don't, I don't know how much more proof they need that that's not working. We'll get more into that. There'll, there will be more uh, fourth line rants. I promise. Although they won't predominate the show. We'll try. We'll try. Cause, cause, <laughs> cause oh boy, we, we could go on and on about that. Um, 
And then outside of that, the other news item, and I mean, this isn't really that exciting of news, but it is something worth mentioning. Alexander Volkov placed on unconditional waivers for purpose of contract termination, uh, mutual contract termination. So that was reported by Elliot Friedman. CJ, are you are you heartbroken that the the, the book of Alexander, the book of Volkov, is is coming to this this uh, this dramatic finish? So look, if there's anything to be sad about, it's that the Ducks' only Russian player is gone now. Like, come on, man, we we, we experienced freedom and just sheer joy and ecstasy at having a finally a Russian player for so long, and now it's gone. <laughs> yeah, Rip. yeah. Rip. Well, I mean. Zooming out from that, the thing with Volkov is <laughs> <laughs> so they, they bring him over last season, right, for a late round pick and, and Antoine Moran. And the thought was, well, it's a it's a dart throw on a guy who hasn't had maybe the most ice time in Tampa Bay. Here's a chance he's gonna get to, to prove himself. And yes, he did have a couple of good games last season. He put up some some counting stats, some goals, some assists, but his five on five play left a lot to be desired. I mean, if you looked at his numbers last season, he was not like a positive impact guy. And he also wasn't in Tampa Bay. And I remember last season, actually Jake saying, Hey, the numbers weren't good in Tampa and me rebutting with, well, it's a small sample there as well. Cause he barely played as it turns out that kind of held over in Anaheim as well. This season, fast forward, he gets to, uh, you know, training camp. I thought he looked just his usual vanilla self. In training camp, I am convinced that when Dallas Akins said in his presser that there are guys who are too vanilla right now during the preseason, I'm convinced Volkov was among that group. Yeah, I agree. Like, if it wasn't about him entirely, like he just, he's a fine, you know, he's a player who's just like replacement level, right? Like he can mm-hmm. get out there, do some things, but there's nothing about his game that really pops off the page that makes you think that guy has to be in the lineup every night. Now, I would say that is it the, would it be a better use of a roster spot to have Volkov out there as opposed to a Grant or a Delorier? Probably just to see what you have in him. But it was pretty clear that when he got sent down to San Diego after that start, that his, his future in Anaheim was kind of in peril because, you know, part of the reason that he was traded from Tampa Bay was because he wanted more ice time. That's the reason he wanted out. He wanted more ice time and he wanted to be in the NHL. Now, that didn't happen in Anaheim at all, and it, or at least it wasn't going to happen this season. That the path to that seemed pretty restricted, and I think that his agent Dan Milstein, who is one of the more powerful agents in the sport, I mean he he represents, I would say, ninety percent of Russian players, if not more. Um, he's the one who's actually representing Vitaly Kravtsov, who also doesn't want to go to the AHL. Um, in the, in the Rangers organization, different, different situation. But I think that he was probably like, well, I can go make more money in the KHL or seek another opportunity in the NHL. But this, this just isn't going according to plan. So I guess what's your take on that, that philosophy of, you know, just kind of power move your way out as opposed to do what maybe the old school types would say is the, the virtuous path of earn your way up wait for your opportunity and then cash in. Like what's your, what's your view on kind of, I guess, manhandling the organization a little bit to just get out of it. 
I mean, more power to him. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. if if it were me personally, I, you know, might be more partial to the stay down there, earn my way back up path. Um, but I will never, ever criticize a player for utilizing what is in their power given to them as a player in a league, in a very powerful league against billionaires, to be able to have some sort of dictation on where he should go. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and he used what was available to him. I, you know, the Ducks uh, agreed with it. Fortunately, obviously, things turn out a lot uglier when certain players try to do that. We're kind of seeing that play out with Eichel um, right now. That's certainly part of the situation over there. Um, and, you know, but it, at the end of the day, he does have, I think, a more unique um, opportunity because he's Russian that he could go and make good money in the KHL still, where if it was maybe a North American prospect who was in the same type of situation and that he wanted to play the NHL. Well, I'm, I'm not entirely sure he would have the same opportunity as Volkov would maybe back in the KHL or another league. But um, you know, if, if that's the way that he wants to do it, that's fine. And it, it, at the end of the day, I don't think the ducks have really lost, um, you know, this critical piece or anything like that. He was more filler. I think at this point. Right, exactly. And and I I tend to agree with that. It's with I mean the players have so little leverage in the NHL that if you don't like the situation you're in and you can mutually agree with the team to just rip up the contract so that you can get out of it, fine. You know, it's 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 not a big deal. I do wonder though what his future NHL prospects look like. We don't actually mm -hmm. know what his next move will be that hasn't really been put out there at least that I can see. If anyone knows about that, you can put it in the chat, but maybe it's the KHL. Maybe it's to seek another NHL opportunity. Um, it's really, but like, like you were alluding to, it's not a big loss for the ducks. They gave up next to nothing for him. Um, hey, if Antoine Moran becomes the next Jonathan Marcheseau over in Tampa Bay, <laughs> then yeah, you can, you can say, okay, this was a big mistake for the ducks. Another horrible asset management trail, but I think overall the, the ducks aren't going to look back on this and think, Oh, what, what a disaster. Yeah. And Moran's only two years younger or less than two years younger. I think than Volkov, like Volkov was still 24. It's not like he was like a 27 or 28 year old. Right. Um, and so I, I and honestly at this point, uh, uh, you know, Moran, I feel like he is what he is. There is still maybe some sort of project, uh, you know, projection that he can have and maybe in a great Tampa Bay system, he could get a boost. Um, but I just, I have a really hard time based on what I've seen, seeing Moran become anything more than a bubble NHL player mm -hmm. um, at this point. And, you know, at those, uh, the, at the end of the day, it, it was more of kind of like, a, okay, took a chance on Volkov, didn't work. We don't necessarily, you know, we think we know what we've got in Moran. We're good. End of the day, it's wash. Right. I will say, though, the critique that you can levy against this is that the duck. this has been part of Bob Murray's philosophy of we're going to try to go and get guys who are already who are already ready to go NHL players, but on the younger side in that 24 yeah. to 25 range, which you know we heard a lot about last season through various reports. And you look at how that's worked so far for this team. Uh, the track record isn't so great. If you look at, for example, the Volkov situation, again, I'm not saying that this is some disaster, right? They they, they threw a dart and it didn't land. That's fine. They, the cost was next to nothing unless you're a, a Moran stan, which, <laughs> hey, at that point, like, I can't I can't do anything for you there. Um, <laughs> but, but 
you know, th- that is part of the part of the issue is that. And then you look at the Danton Heinen situation, right? You 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 flip Nick Ritchie for Heinen. That doesn't work out. So you're taking these guys who kind of already are what they are. So sure, you get more certainty that you have this prospect that you don't have just like a pure lottery ticket and a draft pick, but you get these guys who already are what they are. There's probably a reason that the teams are willing to move on from them. Like, I don't think the Lightning were were broken up about losing Alexander Volkov. Um, the price would reflect that. And then with Danton Heinen, I think the Ducks should have gotten more out of that in terms of just his on ice play. I think that he they should have just played him more. But the fact remains that you're getting these guys who are kind of they're kind of mediocre, right? And I think that it's yeah. it's a it's a bit of a low upside strategy. Am I am I just totally off here? No, no, not at all. It, it's you're going over kind of the certainty rather than the risk. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that we've been a big critique for in a lot of years and, and, and really just asset value, because I feel like not enough people understand. I'm not saying Bob Murray doesn't understand this, but this may be, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure kind of where he is at this, but um, there's a lot of people I think who don't understand that value kind of begets value. Like, yeah, the the absolute steals happen with, you know, March to so in, in Vegas or, um, you know, those like once in a, you know, every five, six year deal where a, a GM absolutely fleeces mm-hmm. um, another GM. And, and you hear those, but those tend to stick out in people's minds more and they think they happen a lot more often. The fact of the matter is, is that if you're getting somebody for not that much, like if you're paying a low price for somebody, chances are the the value come back the other way is going to be low as well. Trades are way more often closer to even than I think a lot of fans give credit for. And this is a perfect example of that. Right. Right. And and you could even go further back with the ducks and like the, the Daniel Sprong trade tree, the, the Andrew mm-hmm. Cogliano trade tree with, with Devin shore coming back. It's just these kind of low upside bets. And look, some of them, maybe at some point one will work out. I think if they had just played Daniel Sprong more, that it, that it would have actually been fine. But again, there was something in the water there as well. So I think maybe this will serve as a cautionary tale for Bob Murray. I think the lesson that they may just take away from it is, hey, let's all right, forget the Russian thing. Like that that was cool for a minute, but forget it. Although they did draft a Russian a couple years ago. Um, but I would say that maybe it's time to start thinking bigger swings, bigger swings, like instead of just trying to eke out value on the margins, which, hey, is important. Let's 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 flip a guy a bigger piece for draft picks or use younger pieces to go and get a, a really established player or someone who's going to really make your team better. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe if that's Jack Eichel's music I'm hearing playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you got to start thinking bigger, I think, for the Ducks, because I, I'm not a huge fan of grading moves in retrospect with the benefit of hindsight, because, of course, that you can it's much easier to judge it after the fact, but that's how a lot of people do it. And I think that it does bear mentioning that a lot of these just low grade moves haven't panned out for the ducks. Um, I mean, maybe I'm missing a trade here. Like maybe I'm missing something that, that has worked out for them and I'm going to get backlash on this, but scrolling through the roster, like there just hasn't been right. These, these little moves that have just become steals uh, in the, in the long run. And, and a lot of them have just totally flamed out. A lot of these guys, I mean, none of the guys I just mentioned are on the team anymore, which I think should say a little something, right? Yeah. So I, it, well, you know, what's interesting is that, and I've mentioned this before that um, 
uh, I completely forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> My bad. You, you, um, you're forgetting what you've mentioned before. That's fine. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I remember now. Um, there was an article, and maybe this has changed now. Hopefully it's changed, but like a few years ago where I believe it was Elliot Friedman. It may have been. It was some. It was a big hockey reporter who you know is very trustworthy usually for this type of stuff that they said that Bob Murray – was one of the few teams or was one of the few GMs in the NHL that um, tried to win trades too, like that tried to beat you. Apparently mm -hmm. the newer way of, of uh, you know, kind of negotiating with other GMs is the fact that most of them go into it with like, okay, we both need something. Let's get both what we benefit. If I beat the guy fine, but it's not going to be my primary concern. And there was somebody came out and said, Bob Murray was one of the few who still tried to win trades. And, uh -huh. and I think that has certainly panned out and I could believe that. Um, based on some of his moves that he's gone for. Um, so, you know, it, hopefully the existence of Solomon and maybe a better understanding of analytics has mm. uh, flipped his mind a little bit. And there have been a couple of decisions like waiving Grant, even, you know, keeping him on the roster, but still waving yeah. Grant, sending Pattern down, um, mm. show at least a little glimmer of a new way of thinking. Right, exactly. Like it's it's not all doom and gloom. And again, these trades are not. None of them are deal breakers. None of them are are yeah. totally hampering the franchise. It's just you're just wasting time a little bit at a certain point. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like if if it just never works. But again, we have the benefit of hindsight. I think some of these trades were fine trades. Like at the time when Heinen arrived for Richie, although you and I are both really high on Nick Richie, despite the penalty troubles. I thought, you know, I could see it. I could understand it. Heinen is a different player. Maybe Richie's worn out as welcome a little bit. Same thing with going out and getting Daniel Sprong, right? It's a it, it's a total lottery ball. But, like, I understood the moves at the time. And I understood the Volkov trade as well. So none of these were bad um, individually. It's just more of, like, this trend now that's developed yeah. that hasn't really panned out for the team. Okay. Let's move on from that. <laughs> Let's. Uh, I feel like we talked for way too long about waving Alexander <laughs> about, about fourth liners. Well, hey, that's what that, that's what we're being fed. That, that this is the news. We're gonna get into the games. Um, we're gonna get into what's happened in the last week. So, I don't know. I part of me wants to do game by game recaps, but I feel like everyone's already seen the games. Everyone has an idea of what happened already. So I don't know how enlightening that's gonna be. So instead. I think one place that would be kind of fun to jump off from is just different trends, different different storylines that have developed in the last week, and then we will go from there. So let's start with this one. I feel like it's the biggest one. Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm off here. It's the one that stuck out to me the most, at least, is the fact that Max Contois was was scratched against Winnipeg, and this is something that Dallas Aikens came out and said to the media that you know they. I mean, I don't have a word for word in front of me, but basically we love the way he works in front of the net. He works really hard in front of the net to get loose pucks. The problem is the rest of the ice. The problem is without the puck and that they just need a lot more from him. And I think that that's not a crazy assessment. If you look at Max Contois' underlying numbers, you've always known that his defensive game is not a strength. You've always known that he's a finisher first and everything else about his game is still kind of being worked out. So what's your what was your reaction to that? And now that you had some time to think about it, about Contois getting this early doghouse treatment from, from the coaching staff? 
I think two things can be true. I believe that in my case, I'm not going to even try and pretend here. Like in my case, I believe that him maybe getting a night off was deserved. Um, and being in the doghouse may have been earned a little bit. And I don't think Aiken's assessment is, is wrong uh, personally. And here's the thing too, is that we were always worried about Max Comtois thinking that he, you know, wasn't going to be on a 30 goal pace or maybe even hit 20 goals where we weren't even sure if that was sustainable, given the fact that his shooting percentage has basically been sky high um, uh, since he kind of entered the league. And maybe he just is that efficient of the shooter. Those things tend to happen. But I think there we've had a ton of skepticism around um, that shooting percentage coming up and are uh, staying up that high. And if it did go down that, you know, he was going to have to prove his value or worth other than, you know, just getting pummeled every single night in the shot attempts. He needed to up that volume. He needed to drive play. And, you know, I, I, I definitely think that, you know, the, the previous couple games from that, he did not play very well at all, in my opinion. So I was like, you know what? I'm totally fine with that. However, I also think it is true that we can be frustrated to some extent for Aikens not holding other players to that same standard. So like we've all seen, he's put Troy Terry in the doghouse before for questionable reasons. He put Comtois in the doghouse may have been, you know, uh, valid. He's put Jones in the doghouse, but you know, he he's done it with all these players. Um, but he doesn't, even when you have like Derek Grant, D'Lo, um, you know, those type of players, Bo Gruel now, who perform just as badly or if not worse than them, they still get a minute and a half of PK time, mm-hmm. right? And they get like the offensive zone draws in the final. Like the standard, I don't necessarily think is being applied evenly here. And yeah, I think that, that he probably thinks like, look, these guys are veterans. They've got a job to do. We're expecting more out of you. I just don't think it sends a very good message, especially for younger players today, that if you're, you know, punishing yourself and then there's these other guys on the team who are getting paid more than you to be worse at the game than you, I'm not entirely sure how he feels about that. Mm hmm. Right. No, I, I, I agree with that. I think that it like both the things, both of those can be true, right? That you can be in agreement with Aiken's uh, assessment. And I, and I tend to be, I think it's fully backed by just about everything. I test analytics, gut feel like, like I don't know what else, <laughs> what else there is, but plus but he, minus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like whatever you want to throw in, like, like Coltois hasn't been that impactful to start the year. Mm-hmm. I will say though, I think that his, foibles are a little little bit overstated like if you look at the numbers his individual expected goals per 60 so just how many expected goals he's generating for himself which means how much shot quality he's getting you know and then also you factor in the shot volume he's second on the team like it's not like he's not doing anything out there if you look yeah. at just pure shot attempts per 60 a little less theoretical for everybody how much how many pucks he's getting on net it's all at five on five he's fourth on the team I mean, he's ahead of Terry and Silverberg. He's still doing stuff out there. I think that what the coaching staff wants to see, and this is the dichotomy, is that if you look at his on-ice numbers, so what's actually going on outside of his individual play, he's been on one of the Ducks, I mean, arguably the Ducks' best five-on-five line with Terry and, and Getzloff, and yet he's the only one of those three whose shot attempt and expected goal numbers are below break-even, which kind of signals to me that he's not really the one pulling the weight 
on that line with with Getzloff and Terry. And this is something we've known about him that he's not a strong two-way player, but I think it I think it's time that he needs to add a little bit of that. And you saw it against Minnesota. I thought that he was laying the body a little bit more. Um you you could tell he was trying to do the coach things, right? So like finishing his checks even when it was just completely like the play had already moved on. He was trying to show more energy. Um, and I think that's all he really needs to do to please the coaching staff. And I think it's at a certain point, his puck luck will start to revert and he'll start to put a few away and this will all be put behind us. I, I, I just think that I guess my constructive criticism to him, me of uh, exactly zero NHL games played <laughs> career is he just needs to continue to, to shoot as much as possible. Like he's yeah. fourth, he's fourth on the team in shot attempts uh, per 60 individually, I would want to see that go up even more because if you've, if you've watched him this season, particularly on the power play, he's passing up opportunities. He's, he's trying to be a playmaker almost. And I don't think that's a bad thing to incorporate into his game, but he's just not there as a playmaker yet. He needs to just get back to the bread and butter, shoot the puck a ton, crash the net. Like that's the kind of player he is. And I know that that's a little bit of a cliche. It's a little bit of generic advice. It's not true for everybody, though. Like, I wouldn't say that about Trevor Zegras or Troy Terry or, you know, like Ryan Getzlaff, more like playmaker types. But for, for Max Contois, I think he just actually needs to get to what he does best, which is shooting the puck and using his his physicality to to wreak havoc in front of the net. So there's your. Yeah, totally agree. And yeah. and I just want to like I, I want to say as well that like i like max comtois overall as a player and like to me he is one of the few guys who you don't have to tell shoot twice to right this this Mm. team has such an issue shooting the puck sometimes um that having a guy who's willing to do that you know that's a guy you should be developing you should be mentoring you should be putting into a position to succeed and i think that comtois very well could be a consistent 15 to 20 maybe even 25 goal guy a year in the nhl i think he shoots enough um to to you know make that happen if he gets put into a position to succeed um he just needs to and i agree that you know he just needs to put in the energy he just needs to show the coaching staff that it looks like he's got the effort so that being said you know, I still like him a lot and I think he's got a place on this team. Um, and, and it is good feedback, but again, at the same time, fourth line issues, right? right. You can be bad at the standard, not being the same there. Right. Exactly. Um, okay. Let's, uh, let's flip the script here a little bit to something that's going well for the ducks. So I'll, I'll give you two players and I know that people have heard about this a lot on our show, but it's just becoming more and more true by the day, by the hour, by the minute, whatever you want to call it. Troy Terry this season. I mean, he is playing the best hockey that I've ever seen him play as a duck. And he's played very well in the past, but now, I mean, just before we get into any numbers, he's got, he's got six points in five games. He's got four assists. He just looks like he looks like a force out there at times. So I guess, how hyped are you on on number nineteen, Troy Terry? Uh, I'm proving, proving all the haters wrong. He's looking like legitimately. He is looking like a top line right winger right now. Like that is how he is playing. Not just on the Ducks on a bad team. I think on a lot of teams in this league, 
he's pl- the way he's playing at right now would be fitting of a number of a, of a number one right ringer. Um, I, I have a little bit of skepticism that he's going to continue this level of play. Um, I've always been a big fan of his. I am, I'm with Jake on the Terry is very good train. Yeah. Um, but you know, scoring at like a point per game pace, he's or even a slightly score, above. he's not going to score on 25% of his shots. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. So part of it is, yeah, part of it is the shooting percentage bender. Um, but but again, that still he's doesn't like it. him being on he a shooting percentage game. <laughs> exactly. He's putting himself into the positions to ex- succeed. And not only that, but his playmaking is as good as ever. Right. It's not like he's just shooting and scoring a bunch like he's made, like the overtime uh, uh, pass to Jamie Drysdale that won them the game in uh, Edmonton. Right. Mm-hmm. That right. was, oh yeah, that's perfect. You you see stuff like that, and you're like, mm-hmm. hell yeah. Um, but I, I I just do want to caution people at the same time from putting too much stock into this because, mm-hmm. again, we're at what five games in the yeah. season. Yeah. Um, Six, realistically, like realistically, for uh, a lot of people, there's no hard and set rule for this. But my kind of general rule of thumb is that at the 20 game mark of the season, that's when I kind of start to come to some very light conclusions. I won't like come to like final conclusions or anything like that. But by the time you get to 20 games, you have enough of a sample to be like, you know, okay, this guy's got something good going on. He's, he's, he's legitimately doing something or you can say, "Mm, Mm -hmm. not entirely sure. Right. I mean, the, the on ice numbers are great. I mean, I expect the goals for percentage 56.13% shot attempts a little lower than that 51.6, but this is on a team with, a lot of guys struggling in that column. Like, like he, he is just generating offense when he's out there and he, the other team is not generating a ton either. And so it's just the, mm-hmm. this perfect combo. And I see in our chat, an interesting point, which I've seen this set on Twitter as well. This is from shadow ops gaming 13 saying, I still think Contois is better with uh, Zegris. And, you know, I've seen other people say that. And it's like, sure. Would Contois possibly have more opportunities offensively with Zegris? Maybe, but you might agree with the CJ. Like he's playing with, he's played with Getzloff and Terry. It it doesn't get that and Getzloff, much better. And, and honestly, Getzloff has has been better than Zegers. Like Zegers has yeah. been really, you know, I think he's been good so far. But Getzloff is the best center on this team right now by a long shot. Like he's uh-huh. he's playing like he's you know like he's twenty eight, twenty nine again right now. Um, and, and, uh, I, I just feel like he's getting plenty of chances here. And if he was with Z that could make a difference. It's not an exactly an apples to apples comparison, but he's getting his opportunities. It's mm-hmm. not like he's not being put into a position to succeed. Right. Exactly. And I mean, the thing with Zegris is that sure he does generate more offense than that line, like by a decent margin, but defensively not quite the same. And I think that with Contois, you need guys next to him who are going to insulate him a bit defensively. Um, and, and Zegris just doesn't appear to be there uh, quite yet. But yeah, so with, with Troy Terry, I mean, look, there was a lot of skepticism around him the last couple of years. And we, I mean, we, this podcast, if, if there's, show me who else has, has been beating the drum of Terry is very good for this long. I'll give Jake credit. He was the, the, the founding father. <laughs> of of this movement but since of that the time, fan club yeah and i think that the more that he picks up these counting stats with goals and assists people are gonna are gonna really come to that side um look he's on a very team-friendly deal um troy terry is and the ducks are just getting a ton of value for it i just hope that with with dallas Aikens, he just continues to to grow his role on the team i think that terry should be 
a first unit penalty killer at this point, for example. Um, I mean, the Ducks are still rolling out Derek Grant on the penalty kill. And I think you look at the way Terry suppresses uh, the other team's offense at five on five. Why couldn't he do that on the penalty kill? You saw it in the overtime goal against Edmonton where he makes that great defensive play and then just, you know, puts on a move to get out of the zone. Like I, I would be curious to see that and then just keep rolling him out in the power play as they have been doing. So there's your roughly 10 minutes of Troy Terry is very good. I there think you that... go. One one thing I, I, I just want to add on this that I will mm-hmm. say too is that um you know we're 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 still sort of uh, we're still sort of a little ways away, I think, from having to figure out who may take over the captaincy um Ooh, once Getzloff yeah. is gone. Um it, it, to be completely honest, to um I think Terry could be in that conversation mm-hmm. of, you know, maybe not next captain, maybe future captain, depending on what it is just, you know, because number one, his play, but like all the interviews and quotes that I've seen from him, he's one of those few hockey players he's who very well often spoken. will give very well-spoken, thoughtful, intelligent answers, not your typical. Yeah. We just needed to get in there. We just need to play hard and back each other. You know, he actually gives like, you know, certain breakdowns and he'll identify when things went wrong or what went right and kind of why plays worked. And I think you can see that on the ice for certain with, you know, he's got a great hockey IQ, but you see it as an interviews too. And he's clearly very bright. Um, he's had leadership positions in the past, um, you know, with like university of Denver, he was an assistant captain. Um, and a, he's, he's one of those guys who I, at least from my vantage point, have seen a decent amount of leadership skill in. Um, and if he keeps performing like this, he he may be working himself into that conversation yeah i love uh this comment from ginger wolf in the chat saying that you know glad troy has found his elusive uh confidence <laughs> that, that, that's something that you hear a lot from yeah. fans from the broadcast from the team i mean the team itself that it's all in his head that he just needs to to, to be confident i mean dallas akins has said things to the effect of confidence i mean i think he's actually said word for word confidence is a choice um, <laughs> which, you know, we'll, we'll not sure I agree with that, but we'll leave that one alone. But the point is yeah. <laughs> that, that, that seems to be the rap with Terry is that it's, it's a mind game for him. And I don't really, I don't really buy that. Like he's, he's had a positive effect on play for a couple of years now, and maybe yeah. he hasn't put up points and maybe that's where the lack of confidence narrative comes from. But I think, sure. He looks confident right now, no doubt, but I don't think that that's, that's not what's making the difference. He's just, he's getting more ice time. He's getting a bigger role and he was just bound to flourish in those conditions. So anyway, <laughs> we're, we're just hitting all the notes here, you know, go, going on the, the Terry's very good. Let's, um, let's move around a little bit here. So looking at the, looking at the rest of the lineup, one thing that I thought was interesting against Minnesota going off of the more recent games here. Um, was in the fourth period, the fourth period, oops, Freudian slip, the third period in that game, we saw that Derek Grant and Bo grew got benched. And that's because they, that fourth line got scored on horrendous goal against that. I thought was the backbreaker to be honest with you in, in that game, John Merrill getting his first goal of the season, getting his first goal. And I think a crazy amount of games, um, there was an offside review that, uh, did not go the ducks way. And you look at that play, some people have blamed Josh Mahura for not clearing it out correctly. Derek Grant had his whack at it. Uh, it just it was just like mistake after mistake. And 
to Dallas Aiken's credit, he he acted upon that and the Dick Grant and uh, Gru didn't see the ice the rest of the game in the third period. Now, I thought it was a little funky to have Delorier just toggling between the you know the the second and third line and taking ice time away from more talented players. Hey, hey that's expansion draft protected Nick Delorier to you. <sighs> yeah, I got to got to pump that trade value. Um, I yeah. suppose. Remember anybody somebody's going to pay a first for him any day now. Yeah. Any yeah. day oh. now. Oh god. <laughs> um but so what did what did you make of that that move and also what do you make of I mean look maybe I'm just maybe with with Jake not here to just roast me. What do you make of Bo Gru so far? I mean that I feel like he's no one has really been talking about him that much since the season started. All the talk was before the season about you got to watch out for this yeah. kid. He's going to be great. I haven't heard a whole lot about him though in the six games. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to wonder why. Yeah. Um, I, I think he, they, they need to send him back to San Diego. Um, you know, I, I was a person, I thought he earned his call up. I thought he played sure. well in preseason again, very, very little, but for players like him, this is why preseason is important, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. for, um, uh, players who pretty much have a lock, uh, uh on the roster. Yeah. You know, preseason is kind of whatever, but it, and it may not necessarily be predictive of your future season, but it's important for guys on the bubble, like rule who are trying to, you know, start their NHL career as soon as possible. And he got an opportunity and here in that opportunity, uh, that doesn't change the fact that like his six games down here have been terrible. <laughs> like mm-hmm, right. he, he just hasn't been good really in any sense. Um, and I, I think he may need, I, I still like him. I still think that yeah. he um, is a, is a very interesting and it will likely be a good kind of bottom six, like to me, like an ideal third line center. Um, but given where he's at right now, and I think part of this is number one, he's getting a billion PK minutes, right? He's getting yeah. a lot of the, the, the tough defensive assignments and yeah, he's had that reputation as a two way, but you know, he's 21 years old and he's already being fed to the lions mm-hmm. and, um, it, you know, it, it's just, it's not really working for him. So I think it's time maybe get him back down to San Diego and uh, let him rebuild a little bit of confidence, work on a few things um, from the coaching staff and give it another try, you know, maybe later this season. Yeah. I mean, I think if, I think those are all correct, the correct takeaways. Um, the, the preseason was a good, I think confidence builder for him, but now they're running the risk of getting away from that and, and kind of maybe taking away some of that confidence, which we were just talking about. I mean, he played five minutes and 55 seconds on Saturday against Minnesota. Like that's, that's probably didn't feel that great to just be watching the game um, all third period. I, I do feel for him because I think that he has been like, as you mentioned, he's been put in a really tough spot. I mean, they, and I think that that's not a bad thing. If you're the ducks, like you're trying to see what these guys can do in their ideal roles in their, in their, in the perfect world roles that you see them in, if everything pans out. So I, I think it's a fine strategy f- from the ducks perspective, but I think for the player, it hasn't yielded the results. Like it, it's been tough sledding yeah. for him on the PK. Um, it's been terrible sledding for him at five on five. Like I just don't, there's no other way to sugarcoat this. Like when he's been out there, the ducks have just gotten trucked at five on five. I mean, he has the worst expected goals for percentage on this team by a decent margin. And keep in mind, there are some guys with some ugly numbers on the team. He, so when, when Gru has been on the ice this season, 
His number is 21.84 expected goals for percentage. And I always like to put it this way for people. Think of it this way. When he's out there, the opposition controls 80% of the expected goals. They control 80% of the shot quality of the chances against like that's, it's not what you want. And it it doesn't necessarily jive with the whole defensive responsible center narrative either. Like if he was that solid defensively, the numbers would, would they be this horrendous? I I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a little puzzling, but again, like I was just saying, he's in a tough spot, like playing with Nick DeLorean and Derek Grant, I don't think does him any favors. I think that I I, I just don't think it helps him at all. I, I know DeLorean's numbers are okay strictly defensively, but he just doesn't do anything for you offensively. And I think that that's made it harder for him. I went back and watched some of his shifts. Um, I think it was against Winnipeg. And you can tell he's right now, he's just playing to not make any mistakes. Like he is playing yeah. to fill lanes, to get his stick in the lane, to to back check, to, to cover back as a center. You know, when he gets into the zone, it's a quick shot you know, he, he's not really taking the time to create, to scan. Um, he's just out there to do his job, to check the boxes and get off. And sometimes weirdly with Dallas Dickens, I feel like they just extend those shifts because when that fourth line is out there, it looks as if nothing is happening, like nothing bad is happening because they're just getting pucks, clearing them, whacking them ahead, but then nothing comes of it. And the, and the other, the opposition regains possession. Um, and I feel like for the, for Dallas Higgins, he sees that and thinks, Oh, nothing bad is happening. The problem is the other team is like dominating play, even if maybe they're not scoring in that very moment. Um, so I think for, for Gru to really get the most out of him, either you keep him up and give him better line mates and give him an opportunity to do a little more with the puck. Cause if you, if you watch him in San Diego and in junior, like he's got some, some creativity, um, so, so, and I mean, I, I said this on Twitter, I would have been curious to see him with Sonny Milano. I think that that would have been an interesting tandem. We're never going to see it at this point. Um, so they, they've got to decide, like, are you going to give him a legit chance? And I, I think in their view, they are, but they're blowing it by playing him with the, with those two, or are you going to send him back down? I don't know. Where do you, where do you stand on, on all of that? Like, I mean, I know you already said like they should send him down, but is there any merit to, to keeping him up? At this point, probably not, and especially given where the team is right now, um, there's really no sense in you've already given him a six game shot, which admittedly is is not a particularly long shot. But those Mm. six games have been so bad that it's like, how much can, you know, better teammates affected like it mm-hmm. if anything better teammates would be dragging him up he wouldn't bringing the be be bringing those teammates up and i think that's the key difference mm-hmm. right whereas you know whether he, is he the one who is elevating his teammates or is he being elevated and given that he's only 21 years old very very young um still has plenty of time to develop and i think still will turn into something decent you don't want to hurt that possibility um by keeping him up here when he's pretty clearly outmatched at the nhl level um you know get get him more experience i think would be very good for for him if nothing else for a confidence booster to send him down to san diego yeah and you know i know that there's a lot of fans who who were excited about him who want to see him do well and and i'm not saying all of this to to trash to trash grew. I think that he's, I think he still profiles as a guy who could be an NHL player. 
I think the early results are not encouraging. I think what's most discouraging is that his numbers are actually better on that fourth uh, with Grant and Delorier than without them. Um, I mean, it yeah. is a bit of a small sample within a small sample, but there's still a future there. I just think that they have to be careful now to not grind him into this player that is just devoid of any creativity of any, of any thought of offense, right? Like I think he's really just pl- playing to not make mistakes right now. And you got to learn that at some point, like Trevor Zegras is, is learning that right now. Um, but he's, yeah. I think he's just got to, they, they've got to switch things up there. Anyway, there, there's the big guru talk. I, f- I, f- I feel like it was needed after he, Got Man, back. we are hitting all of your fourth line bubble player talk. Like, like, welcome to Crash the Pond, hobo fourth liners and bubble players. Yeah. yeah, I mean, hey, it's 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 what we've got to talk about. Outside hey, of that, you know, mm-hmm. the stars get enough attention. Yeah, Let, let's get some yeah, love to the underdogs. Give the little guys some some shine. Um, As we other... sat here just shit talking <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, the the other theme that has become apparent that we already talked about, I think, last week. And that has only grown is the fact that the Ducks power play is good. I mean, I, I never thought I would utter these words on this podcast, at least not in the foreseeable future, but <laughs> it, it is happening and it's, it's fun to watch. So I guess just for you, what's been the difference? What, what looks different to you? What, what has stuck out? It, realistically, the, the, what has stuck out to me, um, is the system. And for me, that's, two, there's two parts to that, right? There's the actual, um, you know, way they set up and move the puck. So the reason why the Ducks power play hasn't been successful for a number of years is, is twofold. Number one, not really having any, you know, great shooting talent outside of maybe one or two guys certainly doesn't help that having shooting talent on a power play can make a massive difference. But number two, and I would say the, the, the biggest reason why they were at the bottom and not maybe just like mediocre or something is the fact that their system was terrible. They didn't have one-time options. They didn't, uh, they, they didn't seem to be playing to try and uh, um, put off one-timers. Their zone entries were awful. They didn't get it set up successfully all that much. And realistically, they just kind of passed it around the perimeter. And when you do that, you're waiting for the other team to make a mistake. The best power plays are going to be the ones that force the other team to make a mistake, to pull them out of their defensive responsibilities through puck movement and also primarily through one-timer options. And even though the Ducks still don't have you know, fantastic shooters, they have a system that is now built off of lateral puck movement, getting the goalie to move um, east and west, side to side. They are now getting to the point where they're actually pulling coverage apart for the penalty killers and and also putting one-time options on the side and actually trying to get one-timers. And that to me is that I don't necessarily expect the Ducks to have the best power play in the league this year, but it is one of those things where it, this isn't just a shooting percentage bender. There has been an actual positive overhaul to the power play systems this year and it's paying off. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think it's it's a it's a big critique of the coat of the previous coaching staff that it's because you talked about the lack of talent and the lack of shooting talent. These are the same players by and large. Like yeah. it's not like this drastically different roster. Sure. You have, um, you, you know, you have Zegers who's up now full time. You have certain guys getting more looks, but it's, it's the same team. And yet the results are, are dramatically different and not just the results. The process is different. And I thought that it was, 
I thought it was great that they that they had Newell Brown uh, on before the 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 I think it was the last game or two games ago. Yeah, yeah it's all blended games. together. Yeah, he was <laughs> he was giving some comments, and I thought that like they were asking him about the power play. He's the one that's been in charge, um, and he talked about that they've stressed bringing the puck with control, not dumping it in. Right, these are things that we've talked about on the show in previous years, both at five on five and on and on the power play. They've talked about shooting quite a bit, about being kind of a shoot first power play, which, um, you know, is is has has paid off for them. And it just feels like the the Ducks' approach to the power play has has finally joined the twenty first century. That that they yeah. find that they finally arrived, and it took a it took a pretty big shake behind the bench for that to happen, but it's here. And you look at that first unit, particularly, and we saw this against Winnipeg, which was a great game, by the way, for the Ducks, despite the the 5-1 scoreline. You saw that unit with Segris, Getzlaff, Contois, Drysdale, and that puck is just whipping around. It's going through the what we call the Royal Road, right? That 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 slot area. And the Ducks have the talent to make this happen, and they're being encouraged to do that instead of just trying to play this risk-averse style. Um, and then I think what's interesting, and this is something we've touched on before with the, the other unit, when you have Fowler and Shattenkirk out there, they're more shoot first. They're not, there's a lot less passing. It's just blasted on net and go for rebounds, which is something that Newell Brown talked about as well. Now for some numbers on all of this, I mean, it's pretty staggering. Like through, through six games, the Ducks are, so on the power play at five on four, they are third in the NHL and expect the goals four per 60. They're right behind the Oilers and the Golden Knights. Like that's that's pretty decent company, and they're ahead of they're ahead of teams like the Maple Leafs, um, the Blues, Sharks. I mean, teams with some you know some pretty decent talent up front, at least just for on the power play. And then if you look at the unblocked shot attempts per sixty, which is something that Brown talked about, this team being shoot first mentality, they're fourth. Like they're just they're doing everything right. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. This is a long way. And the other and. That. And the other, um, like one of the other mind blowing stats for me too, is that number one, this shows you that this isn't really a a big shooting percentage bender, right? Mm -hmm. That there's actually good underlying system improvements happening here. You mentioned the expected goals numbers, the ducks in on the power play are second in the NHL in shot attempts four per 60. So Mm -hmm. they are getting a ton of shots off and when you're a team that doesn't have a whole lot of finishing talent this is how you do it you make up for it in volume and Uh because at some point you shoot enough a puck's gonna go in so they're they're fantastic in that regard in terms of the most important thing of a power play which is get shot attempts off Uh uh-huh yeah, exactly and i think that one thing that's worth mentioning in all of that is that i am a little I am a little skeptical of the shoot first kind of mentality just because for a lot of teams that usually means uh, shoot a lot of point shots and at least to my eye. Now I would need to pull up some stats on this, but it doesn't feel like the ducks have been blasting away just from the blue line. It feels like it's been from the wings or one timers or just closer in, but they're not taking just a bunch of low percentage shots either. I mean, if they were taking that many low percentage shots, their expected goals wouldn't be that high. So they are taking valuable shots from dangerous areas, um, which is healthy to see. Because I've seen other power plays where, right, you're just taking a bunch of point shots. Sure, you're getting the shot attempts, but they're getting blocked. They're hitting They're hitting shin pads of the penalty killers. They're hitting your own players. It's just not going anywhere. 
So I think that they've they've struck this perfect balance of getting the volume, but not having that volume be empty calorie offense either. Yeah. So yeah, and I mean, yeah, and I think looking at actually, so if you look at the the heat maps from uh, hockeyviz.com, which I would recommend everyone check out. I don't have a way of putting it up on the screen for everybody right now, but basically looking at these heat maps, it it, it confirms what I've been saying. A lot of their shots are coming from the, the flanks. They're coming from the face-off circles and in front of the net, not a whole lot from the points. So that's what you want to see. The, the, yep. the Ducks are doing smart things. It's great. Okay. So we are an hour in, and I don't know. Do you have anything else that you want to hit before we maybe take a couple of questions here? From the chat? No, I think I I think we're good right now. Let's get some questions in. Okay, so we've got a couple rolling in, but for everybody that's in the chat right now, uh, make sure to get them in because we want to hear from you. Uh, and by the way, if uh, if you're new to the show or if you're listening right now and you're not aware, we do stream this show live every Monday night. It's at 8 p.m. Uh, that's and that's 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and that's at Twitch.tv/CrashThePond. So if you want to interact with us live as we're doing this show, join the chat. It's a lot of fun. Um, you can find us there. So let's go to, let's see, let's, where should we start? Let's go with Lewis X 209 Great f- friend of the show. Uh, question since Buffalo will be in town on Thursday, will we see a trade with them by the weekend? <laughs> um, is Jack Eichel going to be healthy by the weekend? <laughs> Surprise. That's a Jeff Skinner trade. congratulations on on acquiring zemgus gergensen's from the buffalo sabers (laughs) wow for a second round traffic um (laughs) yeah i mean there's going to be more questions about the eichel thing but i'll just say that i don't know if uh i don't know if we're going to see a trade uh with buffalo that that soon although who knows that situation feels very i don't know buffalo might be buyers this season (laughs) right yeah like they might actually be good (laughs) at this rate yeah, I mean, I need to. Yeah, and and like I tweeted earlier, I was like, you know what? This this proves that Eichel is the problem, and yeah. that he's Confirmed. definitely not as wor- worth as much as Adams is saying. So that he should get traded to the Ducks for a conditional first and Adam Henrique straight up. Yeah, yeah, just just go all. That's in. definitely all he's worth. <laughs> yep. Yeah, um, yeah. The Sabers are ninth in expected goals for percentage, so. Like they're playing well. It's it's kind of yeah. jarring. Um, let's go to Brandon Pineda two four four asks. It looks like we, which I'm assuming means the Ducks. It looks like we have more talent than expected this year, and several people took some big steps forward. If we maintain something akin to this play, good use of the word akin, uh, through this season, it seems reasonable that they could make it into the middle of the pack for the league. Is this draft or next particularly bad ones to suddenly become? mediocre and slip slip down the draft board so cj what do you make of that i have some thoughts but let's let's hear what you have to say i'll address the draft part of that first um you know this year's draft is certainly looking to be a lot better than last year's draft um i've heard some comparisons with shane wright um to being um probably like not Austin Matthews tier, but maybe like one below Austin Matthews, which is still a really good player. Austin Matthews is, mm-hmm. is one of the top, I arguably one of the top five players in the NHL. 
Um, oh, and, I don't, and I don't so, think it's arguable. I think he is. Oh, there, yeah. Okay, cool. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. your support. Yes. Um, and, and so if you can have somebody who even gets some sort of comparison to Austin Matthews, that's incredible. Um, keep in mind, Shane Wright um, is the first player since Connor McDavid to be granted exceptional status by um, Hockey Canada, which basically allows them to enter the major junior draft at 15 instead of 16. And the mm. only players before him who have ever been granted that were um, Sidney Crosby, John Tavares, was that it? I think it was Sidney Crosby and John Tavares. Oh, before and McDavid, McDavid. probably. Yeah. yeah, and then McDavid. And now we have Wright, who was granted exceptional status. And what's even crazier is that Connor Bedard. Yeah, huh? sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I think Ekblad yeah. got it as well. But yeah, continue. <laughs> Did he? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's a it's a very rare honor, and and as you can tell with all of those, I, I wouldn't even say Eggplant's an amazing defenseman. He's just been in a mm-hmm. weird situation in Florida. Um, mm-hmm. But realistically, all those guys are pretty much star level. Um, and mm-hmm. so this both of these for both Bedard, Bedard even looks like I, I feel like I'm being bold and saying he looks like discount McDavid. Um, yeah, he looks great. <laughs> he's he's good. His name is literally um, so, Connor. So. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. That, that guarantees it. Um, but he, so I, I think that it, it would be better for the Ducks to be bad and have a good, better shot at the lottery um, this year. Um, but here's the thing, though, too, is that outside of a couple games, the Ducks underlying numbers have not been good. They're playing more exciting hockey. They're getting more offensive chances. They're having success on the power play. Um, John Gibson by and large looks to be, you know, at his best that he's been in a couple years. Um, But realistically, this is not a team that at least from an underlying numbers perspective shows that they could even be a middle of the pack team. This is still a bad team. Yeah. I mean, I think that people are excited and look, rightfully so like go crazy get excited i nothing wrong with yeah. that but yeah like if you if you look under the hood they're still getting badly outplayed at five on five um the difference this year like you were saying is that they have actual things going for them whereas before you had nothing like not even a power play gibson yeah. wasn't even playing that well at times so that's the difference that's keeping them in these games but they're they're outside of the they're, they're not in the playoffs right now six games in yeah um but it's a good question i mean you know I, th- what I will say though is that the Ducks have not tried to be good this year. They have just yeah let it ride. They have not added anyone to to try to m- be better for this year. And so if they like if they happen to to get up there and to be in the playoff race, I I do agree that it, it's probably not the year you want that to happen because you have yeah great talents coming up. Um, but it is one of those things where at the same time, if that happens, it's not it's not a terrible thing either because that probably means that some things are working within your young core that some guys are getting better at least that's the hope so i i don't think there's necessarily a a bad outcome here if the ducks are that competitive if they're actually in a playoff race late into the season um a lot of things will have had to change from from today just with the way that they play so it probably means that things are going well um and that, and just with the sheer amount of young players in this roster, that means some of them are going to have to take steps forward, which is not a bad thing. And if we they continue on this trend with the, their five on pl- five play, which we've talked about, then yeah, they're going to still be in the running for the top draft picks uh, this year and probably next. Yeah, and 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 I think that this is a this is also kind of a perfect example of what the Ducks organization. I think like this is an ideal situation for them. Um, you know, the Ducks organization did tell us 
and they confirmed to crash the pond directly that like they know they're probably not going to be competitive, but they don't want to get bowled over. They are sorry. Yeah. They, they know that they're not going to make the playoffs, but they want to remain at least somewhat competitive mm-hmm. um, because you know, they, they believe that losing can become a habit much like winning can. I think there, there's some truth to that statement. Um, and so this just really wouldn't be good for the development of younger players. It wouldn't be nearly, it would be disheartening for the fans if they mm-hmm. kept on playing like they have the last couple of seasons, mm-hmm. even with them and the underlying numbers, not bearing out that they're a particularly good team they're fun. They're making games close. They're giving themselves chances when they weren't necessarily giving themselves chances before. And there's been some successes and step forwards. I think that's an ideal situation internally for the ducks. And I think that so far there really don't have much complaints for how the early season has turned out. Yeah, exactly. Like it's kind of a perfect scenario. Like you're not winning every game (laughs) far from it. And, but there are positive things to kind of latch onto. So um, let's go to this question. I don't have a whole lot to say, but this is from Shadow Ops Gaming 13. Question Do you think Eichel files a grievance? Buffalo's next game is against the Ducks on Thursday. Is that something to keep in mind? I, truth be told, I don't know about you, CJ. I don't know a whole lot about how that stuff works in the NHL. I have heard Elliot Freeman and Jeff Merrick talk about this a little bit on the Merrick pod. I don't think Eichel would have a great case because he's choosing to go down this path. It's not as if there's no treatment options for him at all. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's where I'm at as well. And uh, but that's what they're trying to fight right now. Like yeah. one of the reasons, one of the things that they're reporting is that Eichel is seeking like a ton of second opinions. Yeah, to like to try and case. build up. A, yeah, yeah, to try and build up a case, but. Another like for me, I don't necessarily think that I'm not even sure if it gets to a grievance. I know that right now I feel like unless I'm completely misreading the situation, that the grievance is a little bit more of a threat tactic um, publicly than anything else Uh to, you know, to do that. And that it's a little more bark than bite right now. Mm -hmm. But um uh, and and especially just given how risk averse the NHL is, um, Uh I'm not entirely convinced Kevin Adams is outside of that culture or can be excused from that risk averse culture. So um, from what it sounds like, it sounds like things have been moving um, a little bit more recently. There's exchanging of medicals. There is understanding that whatever team gets him is going to allow him to do the surgery. Um, and, and, and so that may play into his favor as well, but we'll have to see. But again, I, I, I really do think the grievance is more of a threat tactic than anything at this point. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. I don't I don't have a whole lot to yeah. add there. Um, let's see. Do we have any other questions? Am I missing something here? Um, hmm. Okay, I'm gonna keep scrolling. Yeah. So we have this one from uh, just a rush guy. What do you think will be average the average home attendance this season? So there was actually an article about this in the Athletic today about. Um, you know, attendance being down so far this season and for a league that requires, uh, that depends on rev on uh, gate revenue for like 50% of the pie. Like that's a big deal for the NHL. So I don't know, CJ, you've been to a few games this season. I think what's your thought on that? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's the reality of the world that we're living in right now. Um, you know, COVID screwed up so much. We're still seeing so much of the effect. I mean, we're still in a pandemic. It's, I'm talking yes. about this like it's past tense. <laughs> yeah. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. 
Um, and, and it's still just completely screwing with uh, everybody's everyday life. Right. Um, and, and so uh, you, you have to recognize that like, this is, and I, I'm not going to get political here, but you have to recognize that this is the reality of the situation. COVID has changed things. And um, realistically, I think the league knew that this was going to happen to an extent. You saw both the Blackhawks and Pittsburgh, um, their sellout streets, uh, streaks snapped. Um, and that with the ducks being, the way they are, you can't really expect them to be selling out the the arena every single night. Um, so I think the last game I went to, because, well, there's only been two home games. Um, first home game was pretty good, wasn't sold out, but it was nearly full. Um, second home game, I think the attendance was like 11,000. Yeah. Not great, but also not horrible. Yeah. Like I mean, I, still- I, the, the bad years of like Carolina and Arizona had way less than that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's still 11,000 people sitting in the same building. Yeah during a yeah. pandemic. So. And here's and here's the other thing as well. Keep in mind for this. Henry Samueli is worth almost 6 billion dollars. Right? <laughs> like I've heard so many people talk about how like, oh, the Ducks are a small market team. They can't afford to rebuild and have this lower attendance or else they're going to move. Number one, they just two years ago they signed a twenty-five year extension on the on their mm-hmm. Honda Center lease. They're not going anywhere. They're developing an entire neighborhood around it. Um, yeah. They've got a great business in the Rinks Hockey Program going down here. They still have eleven thousand fans tending their games. And Henry Samueli, last I checked, was I think the second rick- richest individual owner in NH- in the NHL. Yeah. So. They're fine. They're fine. They can handle this. Um, you're probably going to see, I think most of the time you'll see 10 to 12,000 in attendance. That's probably my guess, like LA, Chicago, you know, those teams will, will draw higher, but for the most part, I think that's where you're going to see attendance, but it's not a concern whatsoever. Yeah. I, I mean, look, it's just, it's just reality. Like we're in a pandemic. I don't know what else to say to people that when I see these, comments and when i hear people talking about it on different podcasts it's like you know the, you don't now i don't mean to go on this full tangent but like you can't just close your eyes and say everything's back to normal like no like there's still there's still what is it hundreds thousands of people dying every week from covid yeah. like this is I, sorry for people if this is a bit of down but like it's far from over um and i think that there's probably a decent chunk of people that are not super psyched to go sit in a building like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know what the percentage is. This could also be economic. There's a bunch of different reasons, but I, it would be, you, you just couldn't in good faith say that that's not part of it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there you go. The little, <laughs> a little, uh, joyous, <laughs> uplifting commentary there. Um, I'm just happy we have hockey. Like even if there were no fans in the stands, like we saw last season, it was, it's just nice to have something to watch. Um, okay. I got one more question here from, and this is from Twitter at big dog guy. One says, uh, does this season seem like GMBM? So Bob Murray getting ready to hand the reins over to either Solomon or Martin after this con after his contract expires at end of the, of the season. So do you feel like the, the tides are shifting a little bit where, Maybe Martin Madden or Jeff Solomon are more at the more in charge than they've been before. Yeah, I I've now that I've like sat on Jake's hot, I'm I'm air quoting hot take for those of you not on a Twitch, <laughs> Jake's hot take that um 
at the end of the season, Bob Murray will be promoted to president of hockey ops and uh, not be direct general manager. And Jeff Solomon would be promoted to general manager. I'm, I, I think I'm there. I'm pretty much okay. there. I think that's what's going to happen. And I, and I've been pretty certain or not certain. I've been fairly confident for the last couple of seasons that um, once Bob Murray's contract was up this year, he would be done and he would move into another role as like a GM advisor, as Jake said, maybe president of hockey ops, or even just retire. Like, you know, he was going to do that. I felt like, cause he's what 70 something now. Yeah. You know, he's up there. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he's up there. Um, he, I, I, I'm sure he'd be fine stepping back once he's kind of, um, you know, put his mark on the Ducks rebuild in the Ducks future. And I think given what we've seen so far, he has certainly done that. And he has an opportunity to kind of put the finishing touches on it with this season before handing it over. Um, we've seen he's, that in the NHL a bunch, by the way, just in fairness, he's 66. I thought he was 76. Bob, if you're listening to this, I am so sorry. Our apologies for, for aging. <laughs> Our, a few years there. My apologies. Um, mm-hmm. Regardless, I, I, I do feel like that's kind of been his path for a little while now. And Jeff Solomon, it's rumored. Um, one of the reasons why he came over here and left the Kings was, or at least one of the rumors for a while is that he's been a, on the short list for new GM candidates. Um, mm-hmm coming up and i think you know him maybe not necessarily seeing him have a path maybe he sees or has been told that he's got a path to earning the gm job here in anaheim soon and maybe that's why he came over there's some chatter on that um how true it is not entirely sure but mm-hmm. um it, it very well could be and even if martin madden is the guy i think bob murray is just like okay let's put the finishing touches on this rebuild here and then i'm going to take off yeah it's it's certainly possible but hey uh to the earlier question about if the Ducks keep playing this well, hey, maybe a Murray Murray extension. Who, who's in? Executive <laughs> of the year, three year deal. Let's go. I mean, th- that's the recipe, right? For GM of the year, hot goalie, great power play. Um, yep. Bad underlying numbers at five on five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I think I don't see. I mean, if this is the last call, if you've got a question uh, in our Twitch chat. Um, but I think we're gonna we're gonna start wrapping up here. It's anything else? Anything else, CJ? From the from the last week of Duck Talk, I'm sure that we could do another hour if uh, if we wanted to. Oh, Fernando, yeah, he's been throwing this in a lot. Is Milano, Gru, <laughs> Volkov not the sickest fourth line ever? <sighs> Honestly, I did do it. I, what do you have to lose? Well, now Volkov. I, <laughs> Volkov well, you you can't gone, with Volkov anymore. Volkov is yeah, gone. You can't. I just <laughs> he's not coming back. He's not he's not walking through that door. Um, but Milano. I mean, I, I we were just saying this earlier. Yes, I do think Milano next to Gru gives Gru a much better chance at having the puck more, being able to not be on the back foot all the time defending. Um, Milano's a great puck retriever. So yeah, that is something that I would want to see. With Volkov there, I don't. I just don't think he adds a whole lot. I would have preferred, though, yeah. to your point, Fernando, to have seen this as opposed to uh, the other thing that we've gotten. Yeah, to, it's to it, it, it's like that uh, Micah Blake McCurdy tweet for ineffective math, where he's like the the day that NHL teams start playing um, young players who might be bad instead of old players who are definitely bad will yeah. be a wonderful day. Yeah, and it's kind of like you know Volkov is still only twenty four, so it's like, and you have what 28 29 year old Derek grant now you know delo's yeah. like 28 29 
Uh, yeah, I think Deloria is like 31, maybe. Is he 31? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's over 30. Yeah, huh. yeah, he's, right. he's an old man at, at 31. Uh, yeah. Hockey hockey age, he's 30. He's a young 30. Terrible. Um, what a miracle. Can't yeah, believe he, he can get out of bed well, in the morning. Nick Nick Deloria is born in the same month as Jake, February of 1991. There you go. Wow, something in the water. Damn. So, so, so by proxy, Jake is also old? Is that what we're saying? Is that what we're going with? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah we, we can oh he went to yeah. sleep he's on the east coast yeah, he, we can we can asleep. dunk on him yeah. all we want we can just trash him <laughs> quick jake's yeah. asleep every everybody dunk on him yeah everyone talks smack on wrestling or uh <laughs> yes. or soccer or, or take your pick um yes okay. put it put in the chat hey jake don't you know that wrestling's fake <laughs> i'm no, sure that whole, won't get him his, super mad he doesn't care about that his whole thing is suspend disbelief he he just repeats that over and over <laughs> when, when you bring that up um, this is an interesting question though, from shadow ops gaming 13 though. Do you think the ducks will go back to the original logo? If the house is cleaned? Um, I don't know if it has anything to do with like the management group and on the hockey side, but yeah, no, there, it was, doesn't. there was the quote and the good article, by the way, from Eric Stevens doing the Q and a with Trevor Zegras. I thought it was a fun read and Zegras. I, I love, <laughs> I love when he does this when like he gets asked a question and you can you can hear like you can read it in the in the responses when he's like, oh, am I allowed to answer this? And he's like, there, Alex Gilchrist is for sure just standing like right beside <laughs> him, and he's just making sure. Yes, Alex Gilchrist is the PR director for Ducks, by the way. Um, just making sure he can answer. But Eric Stevens asked Zegers, "Do you prefer the current logo or the Mighty Ducks logo?" And over the summer, I know Contois came out and said he preferred it in an in an interview. I think Jones may have said it as well. Jones but has so, said it too. Yeah. Yeah. So Zegers coming out rank and file. I prefer the mighty ducks logo. Your take on that. I, Gen I Z that you, saving us again. You you've been a stickler though for the, for the web D like, I don't actually know of a bigger proponent of the ducks current uh, motif than you. You saying I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, uh, of the web D is, is it's like a relative, saying it's a relative scale. It's a, it's a relative thing. Cause I'm like, whatever on the duck, I don't hate it. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, he, here's my thing. And I agree with Jake on this. Jake says that it'd be a great shoulder patch. And I completely agreed. Like we, cause we have that right now on the current third jerseys. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal vote, I've kind of come around on liking the mighty ducks logo more because i i've been for those of you who followed me for a while i was always like whatever on the mighty ducks logo um and it's because it's probably because i actually didn't become a hockey fan until 2010 long after the mighty ducks um you know were really around i was obviously aware of them but didn't really pay attention so i'm as far as hockey fans go i don't necessarily have that nostalgic uh, attachment to it but um, I will say that I have softened up a lot more and that the main thing that I like about it, I think, is the fact that it's so unique, mm-hmm. right? I think we're now at a point where the whole we want to grow up uh, era of what spread of what actually spurned the, re- um, the rebranding in the first place is gone. And now mm-hmm. you've basically got millennials who look at the logo fondly, um, who uh, were wrapped in to hockey by that logo. And we're are basically now the dominant consumer purchasers, right? Um, and so you're gonna have. Uh, I, I think that they should definitely go back to that, mostly because their current uniform is just so boring. Um, 
you know, I, I'm personally a, a fan of making the third sweaters the permanent ones. Get a white version of it for away, and then bust out the eggplant and teal for your alternate. That's yeah. my vote. Yeah, yeah, those are all great points. I mean, there's there's a lot to to go off of there. Um, I would say that for the you know when will it happen? Will it happen? I think it. There there does. By the there, way, huh? Oh yeah, there you go. Rocking the reverse. I, I, I didn't cabinet. let my memes be dreams. I'm wearing the uh, Mighty oh. Ducks thing for y'all to see there, oh. so you can tell I've softened up on it. <laughs> I will say this: this is the smoking gun to me. Why did St. Archer Brewery not use the Web D for their new Ducks Anaheim Ducks IPA? Why, why did they use hmm. the Mighty Duck logo? Hmm. Do did, they know something we don't? Did they calculate which one will will sell more, the Web D huh. or the Mighty Duck? In a in a grocery store or a liquor store, I mean business. This, this isn't a perfect like <laughs> metric here, but I feel like it's it's somewhat valid. Um, I still need to try that, by the way. I've been I've been everyone I know at this point has tried that beer except for me. What the Saint Archer one? The, yeah, the Saint Archer Anaheim Ducks IPA. I need. Yeah, to... I see. I you know I'm not a big IPA fan, but I think yeah. what I think Brewery X has a couple of beers coming out that aren't IPAs. Mm-hmm. Um, which I would be much more interested in. So yeah. I think I need to try one of those. Lewis in the chat saying it's really good. That that has been what I've heard from just about everyone is that it's really good. Cool. Love but to hear we're, it. We're an IPA friendly podcast, despite CJ. So oh no, I, if you want to drink IPAs, you drink IPAs. Uh, I just like my give, beer to not taste like just hops. Don't give me that libertarian uh, <laughs> that libertarian response. Ha- have a take. Have an opinion. <laughs> by the way shout out to all the libertarians listening to this but you know i'm, I'm wow, just messing Felix. with cj here oh too political too political oh um yeah no i'm anyway. here for it i'm here for it but yeah i look i'm not i'm not a fan of this team like i i'm a canadians fan uh, at heart so i don't have as much of an emotional attachment to where this goes but i will say that i do love the mighty ducks look always have growing up as a kid as a hockey fan love that look I have the nostalgia. I am the demographic that you're describing there, CJ. Um, and to your point, it's it's incredibly unique. It's it's a it's a great look, um, and it's it sticks out. And I think that in this day and age, like that's that's what seems to to drive interest. Um, they just look sick. I don't know what else what else to say. I think my dream scenario, and I I really want to shout out who put this out last year on Twitter, but. I'm losing their name. I apologize. Someone put put out a graphic on Twitter, and this is the dream scenario. It's a black version of the current alternate. So instead of the bright orange, just black as your home, a white version of that is your way. You have the orange as your alternate, and then you have throwback nights where it's just full eggplant and jade. That would be the ideal to me. Agree or disagree? I, I'd be down with that. Yeah, I or just, it, or my, just my full, biggest critique with the on. Ducks New Jerseys probably is that just they have so much damn piping. Like, dude, calm down on the piping. Yeah. You you get rid of the piping that instantly approves the look by the uniform by like 50%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it it is what it is. I actually remember when that jersey first came out, the Ducks current jerseys, and I I like them because they were new, they were different from Well, they were originally the, the third jersey. Yeah, exactly. Like when when the yeah. when the original when it originally came out as a third jersey, I was I, I thought it looked cool, um, but it's kind of worn out over time. Like it was meant to be yeah. a third jersey, and I don't think it was meant to be this like staple uh, as a home and away. Okay, yeah. 
Um, <laughs> I keep saying we're going to wrap up. We're now almost an hour and a half <laughs> into this. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's going to do it for this week, guys. I think, I think we've given you all we have. Um, on that note though, a couple things to point out. So the ducks are going to be playing tomorrow night. Uh, so make sure that you're following along there. A couple different ways to support the show. So if you've been enjoying what we do this week, what we've done in the past, there's definitely a few great ways that you can support us. The biggest one is going to be through our Patreon page, patreon.com slash crash the pond. So for $1 a month, you get access to our patrons only discord chat, which is a ton of fun. Great people in there. Um, very wholesome back and forths. It's not like what you'll experience on Twitter. Most of the time, everyone's just there to just enjoy each other's virtual company. Um, and also during like, you know, when there's breaking news or when there's a trade that goes down or during the games, we'll have a chat in there. So it's a great way to connect with fellow diehard fans. Um, for $5 a month, you get access to that dollar tier with the chat, but you also get two bonus episodes a month where we'll go either super in-depth on the Ducks, we'll go more in-depth than we even do on the show. Like last week, Jake and I did a player-by-player uh, analysis of how each every guy in the roster has played so far this season. So as you can imagine, talking about Isaac Lindstrom's uh, defensive contributions so far, it's uh, it's it's not for the faint of heart. It's for, it's for the diehards out there. We'll also do episodes where we'll do just like league-wide rankings. CJ has been episodes where we'll just go totally off the rails and do like mandalorian talk so actually i think there's a new season coming out soon could be wrong well uh the book of boba fett's coming out at the end of december yeah so there you go december 29th i'm sure we'll talk about that Uh, and then for 15 15 dollars a month you get access to everything i just said but you also get two watch alongs with us a month so during a ducks game we'll do just our commentary live we'll stream uh we'll have the the timer up on this on the screen so that you can know uh, where things are at. You can follow along with us and a little bit of a different look from the traditional commentary booth. So we'll talk more numbers, more matchups, a little more analytical, and also just a lot of BSing a lot, a lot of it's a, it's become pretty laid back. I think we, we, we tried to start it off as this kind of like, you know, true play by play. And it's just become us just basically kicking back for look for if you've hours. ever wanted to know what it's like to hang out with us and just watch the game on tv and just like sit on a couch and just talk about the game that's basically what this is like just imagine we're sitting next to you on your couch watching the game with you yeah yeah exactly yeah you know, who wouldn't want that who wouldn't want that exactly i, I, I can't i can't think of anyone um, i feel like i'm tooting our own horn here way too much but you know what if you truly do feel that way then thank you there you go um another way that you can support us i already talked about it earlier but twitch is a great way to do so twitch.tv slash crash the pond um you can actually subscribe to us there and if you are an amazon prime member you get access you get a free uh twitch prime subscription so you can follow along there um, and that really helps the show keep going and also it's just fun i think to interact with you guys as we're doing the show people signing off here in the chat saying good night appreciate you guys um so that's one way other ways though i mean these are really simple they don't require any subscriptions or any monetary contributions uh you can leave us a review on apple podcast search for us on apple podcast search for crash the pond and then from there you can leave us a quick rating it, 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 you could only leave the five stars and that that takes milliseconds uh or you could go the extra mile and read a re- and, and leave a review if you do leave that review we will read it on the show we get a fun kick out of those I really get a kick out of those because 
people will work in the uh, inside jokes, some of our our critiques of the team over the years, or just there's a lot of mentions of my food takes for whatever reason. C- can't imagine why that is. I feel you like don't my, have as many food takes as you used to, though. My, my, they, my they, food, oh, don't you don't want to slow down. You don't want to poke the bear. <laughs> but but uh, the, the the yeah, so I I don't understand. I feel like my food takes are pretty universally uh, you know agreed upon, but. I guess people have take issue with them. Don't know what You're it the is. Anaheim Travis Yost Felix. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Look, just because I've never had apple pie does not make me less of a person. <laughs> You're only excused because you're Canadian. There you go. There you go. So, yeah, there, there's always... <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going to say right now, I highly encourage you, if you've never written a review for us before, whoa, uh, my desk is falling apart here. Um, if you haven't l- written a view review before, do one right now while Jake is gone. Like just like flood the reviews with yeah. stuff showing how great I am. So Jake can has all that has to read all that stuff when he gets back. Yeah, there you go. Spam spam the reviews. Um, outside of that, you can still find us uh, on Spotify. Uh, so if you're not an Apple person, that's totally fine. Subscribe to us on Spotify, and then you can find us on YouTube. So YouTube.com/slash Crash the Pond. So that's where we actually upload the video of the show from the Twitch stream. So you can see our pretty faces you can see the charts that we'll put in on the screen during the the stream not this time though because we don't have the tech savvy that jake does that's okay um, but you get the video version there and i do enjoy reading people's comments the youtube comments always get a little little wild um, so make sure that you also turn on the notifications once you subscribe to us there is it subscribe yeah like comment subscribe yeah that's the that's the refrain um and then find us on, smash that subscribe button yes for the algorithm there you go that's, that's <laughs> for the, the algorithm <laughs> yeah and then outside of that you can find us on twitter at crash the pond cj's on twitter at cj woodling i'm on twitter at felix underscore sicard check out our website crash we've got articles going up there we've got a shop even crash slash shop t-shirts hoodies with our awesome logo that's got palm trees on it love palm trees um right and yeah i think that's and it has pond on it like come on all using the saw everybody who wants the yes. uh the old school mighty ducks logo come back because we have pond you are now legally required to buy our stuff because it includes the pond yes i love that i love that logic no flaws in it whatsoever um yeah yeah you you, you took the lsat that was on the lsat right <laughs> yeah that yeah valid valid affirmation um okay well, that's going to do it for us tonight, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everybody, for sticking along in the season. As we talked about earlier, kind of a kind of a weird season with everything that's going on, but we are we're trucking along, and we're going to keep it going, and we will talk to you next week. Enjoy the games.